Hello, good morning, good evening. It is Friday, the 11th of April, 2014. The year is ticking along. It is episode number 37 of the It's a Monkey podcast. We talk about everything relating to technology, social media, ad tech, um, you name it, uh, that's related to tech and the tech economy. We are here to talk about it and give our opinions on it. Thank you very much for listening. Um, we appreciate you listening and we try to put these podcasts together regularly for you. We try to keep it at every two weeks. Um, subscribe on iTunes. Um, my name is Kevin Garber. I'm the co-founder and the CEO of Manage Flitter, which helps you get more out of Twitter, helps you work faster and smarter on Twitter. And with me is my co-founder and resident tech genius, James Peter. Good afternoon, Canada time. James, you in Vancouver? Yep. Good. Um, good morning, your time. Yeah, I'm uh, in Vancouver. It's a nice sunny day here. It's um, nice from this side of the world. Great. Um, We've got a terrific uh, show coming up for you. We um, Later on in the show, we actually interview one of the managed photo developers, Charles Mathieu, who is an expert on all things um, you know, tech under the hood, um, really the nitty gritty. And we chat to him about this heart, ple- heart bleed bug. If you're not in the tech industry, you might not have heard about it, but it affects the security of the internet. If you're in the tech industry, you would have heard a lot about it. And I'll chat to Charles um, a little bit about that but uh, later on in the episode. But as usual, James and I just uh, chat about a couple of tech stories. So um, let's get right into it. James, um, what do we have on the um, Google side of things? Uh, one of the Google side projects is spawning off some interesting um, activity. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's something. Um, it came out a few months ago. There was a little bit of talk about it, but um, it's just sort of uh, Google started releasing some more details. So it's called uh, Project Aria or Ara. Not quite sure how to pronounce it. It's just A R A, and um, essentially what they're doing is they're building a uh, a mobile device that's kind of modular. So if you can kind of imagine, um, I guess kind of like building Legos or something. Like you plug a whole bunch of bits together, um, and then you kind of create a smartphone. So you might have like your your camera, you might have your CPU, and you can kind of choose what type you want, and you can plug it together in the in the ways you like, um, and that kind of produces your your end phone. So, I mean, it seems like this is kind of a way that Google's trying to address, um, I guess, upgradability of these devices. I mean, currently, if you've got a, if you've got an iPhone or you've got an Android device and you want to kind of get a better camera or whatever, you kind of get a, get a whole new phone every time. Whereas something like this would allow you to just kind of upgrade individual parts. Um, it also opens the door to some really interesting other ideas as well. I mean, say you're kind of in healthcare and you might want to get like something like a biometric sensor or like a glucose measure, something that can measure kind of like um, like sugar levels in the blood and that kind of stuff. You can imagine building these kind of tiny pluggable devices um, that sort of sit permanently on your phone. So it's a really interesting idea. Um, it's, it's really quite unique. Um, what uh, what do you think about it, Kevin? Well. What I was going to say, isn't this taking us back to the, um, you know, modular PCs and it's going, it's, you know, very opposite philosophy to the Apple closed system um, story. Now, I think the modular PC definitely sort of accelerated the evolution of personal computers. So I actually see it as an, an interesting 
good thing but ultimately we've done full circle where apple now people like the apple and the and the reliability that can come with the closed system an open system obviously lends itself to all sorts of um, problems and getting things right once you have components you know interconnectivity issues and 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 operating systems become more and we've all remember the days if you're old enough that of us fighting with windows and tweaking things and getting things right so uh don't if we, do you think we'll move beyond a, a hobbyist type of thing i mean to be honest it really quite excites me um i mean when i first saw it i was like yeah i'm definitely gonna get one of these first the first day it comes out i mean i guess yeah it kind of is a bit of a throwback to um to you know kind of building your own pc and that's something i used to do whereas now i wouldn't do um, I mean, to me, the reason why it makes so much sense in mobile is because you can kind of have these devices, like everybody's kind of got their own profession um, and they've got like a sort of unique set of tools. I mean, obviously the medical side is one thing, you know, if you have certain medical conditions, you want to monitor them. That's obviously very useful. Um, if you're very active, you kind of got all these things like Fitbit and that kind of stuff these days. I mean, you could then, instead of having separate devices, you can kind of plug them all into your, into your one device you take with you. Um, and this modular system would allow people to kind of build these tiny tools. It doesn't make sense currently to sort of build the whole infrastructure. If you have to, if you have an idea of one of these small tools, you currently have to build kind of, you know, the whole package. You've got to build the whole device. You've got to build sort of the CPU. You've got to provide the battery. You've got to do all these complicated things that are quite expensive. Um, whereas the actual kind of device itself that, um, that's of value um, might not be that expensive at all. So this kind of uh, modular system can really open the door to very interesting stuff. So, yeah, to me, I think it's um, I think it's very exciting. I would um, I definitely be on board with it. Um, as long as it whether, works, right? As long as it works. As long as it really is truly modular and easy. And um, you know, for the lay person, you don't have to you you know be in the old days of Windows where you had to really understand what you were doing sometimes to get things working. Yeah, look, I mean, I think we've come a long way since, you know, the early days of computing. I mean, particularly even in advancements that Google has done and kind of in the in the sense of Android in itself. Like, it's a very modular system. You have, you know, all these developers across the world building on it and currently already exists on all different types of devices. And so this is almost like the hardware extension of the software version of Android, if that makes sense. So I think it's probably already coming off a very good base. Um, and, I mean, just even the mock-ups I've seen, like, they're really... Um, they're kind of sexy in a way, <laughs> like, you know, it's not um, it's not like the, the dirty days of, you know, computing and you have to actually, like, touch the motherboard and that kind of stuff to plug these things together. They're kind of, you know, nicely packaged devices that they're trying to um, encourage people to build. So it's, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really um, attractive design. I think it, um, yeah, I think it holds a lot of promise. So when is, um, when is it due, this whole sort of project and this module developer's kit um, sort of going to be available? Uh, it's a good question. So I think at this stage they're just kind of releasing the specs to kind of um, get people excited and get people building the modules. I mean the modules for it. Um, I believe it's early next year that I think people will be able to start getting it in their hands. Um, but I'm not sure if they have an exact date yet. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm reading the article. Re yeah, interesting. And uh, I agree with you. We all, we all have different sort of orientations in life and a, and a customized phone. Um, you know, for instance, I'd really like good speakers on my phone, right? And, I, and I've got the HTC One, and HTC's coming out with a new one, which I think's got even better speakers. But I, I use it a lot, particularly when I travel, I actually use the speakers a lot. So for me, if there's an option of somehow integrating a, a better internal speaker, I'd, I'd certainly, you know, do whatever I need to do to, to get that yeah. in. 
Whereas like I don't use speakers at all, so I would just not have that module and I'd probably yeah, have so, like save the space the and power. power or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's all kinds of um ways you can configure it. So yeah, it's it's a very interesting take. I mean, obviously it's still kind of um it's up to the market whether it succeeds. It's obviously a bit it's still a bit of a gamble, but um yeah, I'm definitely gonna try and get my hands on one um if they if they come out. The key is, is it working, you know, I mean, the, the, the closed systems, you can get the reliability just so much better because there's no unpredictable things and unpredictable components. So it's a, it's a lot easier to get it right, hence Apple. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to be said for the closed system. So it's definitely going to be a tough, um, a tough battle for them. I and mean, it may remain niche, um, but yeah, it'd be very interesting to see what happens. The next big story, Twitter have have released an, an overhaul of their user interface. I believe um, they rolled it out to new accounts. Um, so if you sign up with a new Twitter account, you receive their new interface, and then they are progressively rolling it out to existing accounts. Um, some of the main features, it's, it looks a lot more like Facebook. Um, and this is from their own blog post where it says, what's new about the new you? The new web profile lets you use a larger profile photo, customize your header, show off your best tweets and more. Here's the main features, best tweets. Tweets that have received more engagement will appear slightly larger so your best content is easy to find. Pin tweets, pin one of your tweets to the top of the page so it's easy for your followers to see what you're all about. Filter tweets, now you can choose which timelines to view when checking out other profiles. Select from these options tweets tweets with photos videos or tweets and replies um james a lot of chatter about this new profile people are excited people are nervous it's quite a it's quite a dramatic overhaul look i mean it's kind of a long time coming um i mean twitter if you look at the existing system it does look a little bit dated now i mean they've definitely made some advancements in some parts of the ui but um still kind of the core kind of bubbly look of their existing system is showing its age it doesn't um it doesn't feel modern and you know this kind of stuff over time it definitely kind of um i think hurts the hurts the brand so i'm sure they felt like they had to roll this stuff out um sooner rather than later um, I mean, it's quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, lots of people are comparing it to Facebook. I mean, to me, actually, it kind of feels quite a bit like Google Plus in a strange way, particularly some of the UX, the user experience stuff. I mean, as you scroll down to the page, it kind of like changes the profile image to make it a little bit smaller. It feels very, very similar to the way um, Google Plus navigation works in that sense. Um, so, yeah, it's it's an interesting take. I mean, it's... Um, whether it's going to increase engagement or improve anything uh, along those lines is obviously still to be seen. Um, but, I mean, the, the features like pinning is, um, is quite interesting and the larger tweets is, um, is definitely valuable if you're, if you're looking at other people's accounts. So, yeah, I think it's quite a good move. What do you, what do you think of the new, new look, look? I think, I mean, philosophically I find, you know, I see the, the two opposite ends of the spectrum. I see with respect to product development and product iteration. On the one end, you've got Facebook, which has always iterated really fast and you know, taken dramatic turns quite quickly and another dramatic turn on right at the opposite end of the spectrum. So that's, that's the, you know, iterate fast and just tweak um, constantly. The other end of the spectrum, you have the, something like Craigslist, which has never changed in years and they are turning over a lot of money and they're doing very well. I wonder if Twitter, for me, feels like it's stuck a little bit in between both of those. And I am almost sometimes wonder 
part of me wonders if it should go harder down we're going to stay traditional and what's special about twitter is that it's a um you know uh, um a short message service with with where it's not photo centric etc and we keep that magic um you know keep it the purest and we hardly evolve it and then on the other end of the spectrum or we'll move it really fast and they they seem to be stuck or well not stuck but they they seem to be a little bit in the middle and i'm just wondering if that's hedging your bets a little bit um um, that, that's sort of what pops to mind. I don't know. Do, do, you, do you feel a similar thing and do you feel that's problematic or I'm just sort of thinking too much into, into this analysis? Uh, yeah, no, I kind of agree. I mean, it's definitely, um, it definitely feels like they're, they're making the move into, you know, into Facebook territory um, and into kind of, it almost feels like they're kind of envious of what Facebook has and they're kind of trying to pull some of that, that back across. Um, whereas maybe they're kind of missing out on some of the core value. I mean, I definitely agree. I, 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 um, I think they've probably lost um, some opportunity in not, um, not scaling out the underlying proposition of Twitter, which is, you know, the fact it kind of is this universal short messaging service and they haven't provided that support um, in recent years to, to sort of expand, uh, to, to enable other people to, to use the service, be out of the out of Twitter. Um, and it definitely feels like this is kind of closing back in on the ecosystem again. Um, so it seems like they're kind of still missing the point a little bit of um, about why, why people really love Twitter. But, um, yeah, I mean, who knows? Obviously, it's still working for them. It's still, still doing okay. So. And they might think that the people who love Twitter or old Twitter are not necessarily, you know, the next... 800 million users that they need to get on board, you know, so... Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I still think that's short-sighted. I mean, if you take a look at email, it was never the most user-friendly thing in the early days and it took a long time for people to understand it, but... That's um, true. It's, it's completely ubiquitous now, you know, you can't do anything without it, so I still think they, they played the short game, not the long game, so... Yeah, look, it's a, it's a hard one and it's always easier from the outside, of course. You know, it's like being on the sidelines as a, um, you know, at a, at a game. It always seems so clear and simple. So it's easy for us in a podcast, in fairness to them, to sit and give input. But um, yeah, look, um, interesting times. We'll, we'll ride along with the wave and, and we'll see where it takes us. I mean, you know, it, I think it's hard also when you've been part of a service for so long that you love. And yeah. Um, you know we don't feel that there's much that they should change on the on the product size well i i don't at least i mean some of their tweaks have been nice but i haven't felt like an overhaul i haven't felt the need to upload four pictures at once i haven't felt the need to turn it into facebook you know then again i never felt the need for facebook to turn into twitter and facebook also added you know follow and 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 uh trends and things like that so interesting how they start following each other and and everything you know turns trends towards the same um place which is why there's always going to be room for new startups which is which is great you know so that's Twitter. So anyway, if you have some comments on Twitter, leave it on. Go to itsamonkey.com. We love to hear your comments. Tweet us, email us, and tell. tell oh, it's been a long week. Tell your friends about us. So we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back where I uh, spoke to Charles Mathieu yesterday about the heart bleed bug, and um, he provided some insight. So stay with us. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter, 
and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. You're back with Kevin Garber and It's a Monkey podcast. Now, one of the common themes in the internet is security, privacy. Um, pops up every now and then, whether it's about Facebook and uh, revealing um, profile information or hacking. Um, there, It's a very um, important part of the, the glue of the internet um, is the security aspect. The internet was designed to be very open, to be very flexible, which is great, but that causes all sorts of security issues. Now, this week, there's a story um, about uh, security compromises, um, and it's been nicknamed the heartbeat, the heartbleed bug, and it's relating to, and it's related to Open SSL. Um, now, it's all security can get uh, very technical very quickly. Um, so even though you use encryption every day, you might not know it, but you do actually use encryption every day, probably uh, when you're paying for things online, on your mobile phone, when you're logging into Facebook, when you're logging into Google. So I thought we'd actually get one of the managed Flutter developers who uh, is pretty much an expert in um, a lot of the... The, the bits and pieces that are, inv that are invisible to the rest of the world on the internet. And I'd ask him a little bit about um, this, this heart, heart bleed bug. So um, live from Cape Town, South Africa, we have Charles Mathieu, who's going to help us demystify um, this. Charles, thanks very much for joining us on the It's a Monkey podcast. Great to be here. Um, so um, why don't we just start a little bit... Um, let's just take a step back and just give us the absolute idiots, not even the idiots, the absolute idiots guide to encryption and what's actually gone on with this heart bleed bug. Okay, so I think most people would be affected by this via secure web services. So if you're essentially using some form of web service that um, has the little secure icon on in your browser or if you go to an HTTPS site, that's sort of where most people would have been affected by this bug if they were affected at all. Now, of course, um, that HTTPS, I mean, uh, is if you go to Google, if you go to Twitter, if you go to Facebook, um, they all use secure sites. So anyone who uses these sites actually uses encrypted sites. Is that correct? That's correct. They don't all use the version of the library that there was a problem with though. So not all secure HTTPS websites are actually affected by this. Okay, so um, and encryption itself, just, um, just give a, a little bit of a snapshot. What's the difference between um, working on an unencrypted website and working on a website where the data uh, between you and the website is encrypted? So what the encryption essentially does is between, in this specific case, your browser and the server and the remote side that you're talking to, it sets up a little tunnel and all data that flows across that tunnel is encrypted. So any person that tries to grab the data between you and your browser, there could be many places to actually insert oneself to be able to do that, will then only get an encrypted stream instead of the actually, actual clear data. So you won't be able to see credit cards, usernames, passwords and stuff like that if it's encrypted. Whereas if it's in clear text, you can always try and grab that stuff through a attack called a man-in-the-middle attack. So um, if someone's on a cafe Wi-Fi connection 
and they're working on a site that's unencrypted in theory there and this person is typing uh, a message and and say it's a chat service that's unencrypted in theory someone could sniff some of that traffic and they could actually see what's being typed but whereas an encrypted service if someone is on an encrypted chat service even if they are on a public wi-fi um, the person that the, someone's trying to hack that stream will just see garbled text if it's encrypted. Is that a, is that a fair enough sort of uh, simplification? Absolutely. So, so if you're if you're on the same network as someone else, then you can always sniff their traffic. Um, that's why it's important to use encrypted uh, tunnels or things like HTTPS, so that you know you don't enable that kind of behavior. But yes, so uh, open Wi-Fi network or any Wi-Fi network for that matter, anyone else that's on that network with you will be able to sniff your traffic. So it's really in your interest to make sure you always use encrypted tunnels or encrypted services. And that's, uh, of course, one of the main reasons for VPNs in the corporate world is not virtual private networks, is that it, it provides a level of control um, over the security. Um, it allows control of security as well as uh, the control of certain setup parameters for your network connectivity. But yes, it's, it's mainly a, the main drive is the security focus. Okay, so we've established what encryption is. It basically... Um, uh, garbles your message to the outside world so that they can't see what's being sent between you and a, and a um, web server or a chat server or anything like that. And an unencrypted, it's, it's ungarbled. So what actually happened um, um, in this bug? Now, again, I understand it can get quite technical, but from a layperson's point of view, what's, what's going on here? Okay, so a simplified explanation of all of this would be um, the, the bug that we're seeing is actually not a bug in the actual security protocol, so it's important to understand that. So there's nothing flawed in the SSL protocol, the, SSL, the TLS, DLS um, protocol itself. It's in the actual implementation of that protocol in this one specific library that there's a problem. Now, that's the, the bug services in a part of the library called the Heartbeat Library, and that's where the name Heartbleed comes from because it's in the Heartbeat implementation of the, SS, um, the TLS implementation. And what it allows you to do is essentially grab any memory off the server from the client or vice versa um, using this bug. And that's where the bleed component of Heartbleed comes from. So Heart is because it's in the Heartbeat um, component of the TLS implementation and bleed because you can actually draw out data from the client or the server. Okay, so, um, and just to, just to clarify, you said there's no intrinsic flaw with the protocol, so the, the, the protocol itself is, is secure, it's just a particular implementation of that protocol that a bug was found. It's even more specific than that, it's actually a specific set of versions of the implemented library, so versions before, open, and the library we're referring to, of course, is OpenSSL, so before the lib OpenSSL uh, before a certain version, everything was fine. There was an implementation. Several versions were affected, and after that, you know, after a couple of days ago, there's been an update, and it's not affected anymore. So it's not as if OpenSSL uh, was affected all this time. It's just specific versions, recent versions. Now, um, how was this bug found? 
that's a good question. From what I understand, a researcher at Google picked it up, and um, normally what the process is, they will engage the authors of the software first so they can get a fix out, um, and then it, once the fix is sort of um, ready for everybody to distribute, they'll make an announcement and make sure that the fix can go out to everybody as fast as possible. But the original discover, uh, discovery was by a researcher at Google. How do they, I mean, why and how do they discover this bug? I assume it's because they were working on some other security um, sort of uh, product or something. So the security guy, I'm, I'm not perfectly sure what the uh, rationale was for the guy to, to pick this up, but normally these security guys, that's what they do day to day. They sit and they actually have suites of tools that they use to put things like this through their paces to double check for issues. Um, and... Sometimes, or a lot of the time, these bugs are discovered completely by accident, uh, and sometimes it's due to brute force uh, research, essentially, to try and f figure out if the thing is vulnerable in any way. Now, James, who's one of our other developers and co-hosts on, on the podcast, said to me, this bug is so widespread that he, that he even recommends that people don't do any online banking this week. I mean, that sounds quite dramatic and almost alarmist, but um, what's your view on, on the impact of this bug? Um, it is massively widespread. Um, I think there's been a, a huge shakeup in the IT industry about this because um, there's very little infrastructure out there that's not, that's not necessarily affected by this. Um, everyone's been very quick to fix and uh, remediate the problem though. So in many cases, uh, the issue is fixed. If you're a bit skeptical or you want to be cautious, what I recommend is first contact your service provider, whoever site you want to speak to, and just confirm with them whether the bug has been fixed before you actually go ahead and using it because you can very easily, um, you know, uh, lose data if you're using a vulnerable site because it's very, very straightforward to actually pull any secure data out of that server if it hasn't been fixed. But we can assure... There is Sorry, go. There is a website. Sorry, there is a website, Hotly testing website, and maybe we can post that URL uh, with this podcast that you can go to, and you can put in a website's address to check whether it's vulnerable. Um, so that's an an option. So if you're a bit worried, um, by all means, go to the website, put in the URL that you're trying to go to, and it can maybe do a quick test for you just to make sure that um, the thing's not vulnerable to the Hotly bug. So I think I think yeah, I think there's a few of those sites. I think if you Google Hotbleed test sites or something like that you'll come up with something useful um, yep. and um, but I would assume all the major sites um, have been have been patched already uh, yeah most of them have been uh, I don't think I don't think there's any really big ones out there but there's a lot of smaller social type apps that all of us use so you know just be careful rather um, err on the side of caution and contact them and double check first before you log in and do something that you might regret or lose, you know, get get your details stolen or whatever the case might be. So that's the risk in that um, you'll think your data is encrypted and it's safe and you're sending a credit card through and credit card details through and it's not. And if someone happens to be sniffing at that moment and they know about this vulnerability, um, your details can be sent to them. So if you're a user of a secure site like that, yes, that's the that's the risk. If you're someone that's actually hosting a server that is compromised, um, an attacker can actually steal your private key. So that's the, the like in encryption, that's your, your your master key to unlock your your encryption on the server side. They can steal that and potentially generate their own certificates, certificates or impersonate you and stuff like that. So there's massive threats on both sides, not just on the user side, but also on the person, the service provider side hosting the servers. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, I saw I, I saw a statistic that said um, there's 117,000 vulnerable servers. This is when it first broke. Now, that actually sounds like quite a small number con considering the size of the internet. And I don't know the reliability of that stat. Yeah, we'd, we'd have to look at, you know, how they got to that stat. But there's no way they could have scanned the whole internet. So they may have just scanned a small subset. So the number you might see there might just be based on the top 1,000, you know, popular sites out there or something like that. Right, gotcha. So it, it is more widespread. But I mean, do you think people, um, I mean, all the, the major banks and people like that would have had this covered already. People don't really need to uh, actually hold off on, on, on uh, online banking or things like that, do they? Um, as I said, I think if you're really worried, just check with the company first before you before you start, you know, uh, using the online services again. I think, in all honesty, I think everybody has fixed it, but I can't say for sure what other people have done. So if you're in, in, in you know, in doubt at all, by all means, contact their support and just double check before you do connect via the internet. I wonder, I wonder if any of the major banks have released any statements and saying their sites are secure. Um, banks. Banks generally don't release that kind of information <laughs> because um, it can lead to people stamp, you know, the stampede of people closing accounts and whatnot. Uh, so banks are generally not very good with disseminating that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, you would imagine they would be they would be all over this, particularly if they lose Absolutely. money because of it, they're liable for this money. So it's very much in their own interests. For sure. Absolutely. And, and not just that, I mean, if, uh, if they were vulnerable before this period, you know, there's always the, the case that certain things may have been stolen already. So that's a, a concern going forward, actually, is because you can uh, basically steal stuff without being detected at all and without having any um, authentication in place, you could have been stealing stuff via this bug for quite some time. Right. So um, I think most large institutions are going to start releasing uh, messages saying that they weren't, you know, vulnerable beforehand, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's something really good to check with your service provider or your your service that you're using is just make sure that they weren't vulnerable at all. And if they were, they need to give you an idea of you know what that impact could have been, what could have been taken. Wow, it's a real uh, real minefield. Internet security is not. Uh uh, yeah, it's uh, not not for. The, I would hate to have the re that responsibility. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, as developers, it's something we all have to keep in you know in 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 mind. But if you're using someone else's library, you have to trust that they're doing the right thing. But we're all human. We all make mistakes, and you know you need to keep that in mind. So when when you do have, if you speak to any security person, they'll say security is not ever one certain one one thing. It's you know several levels of different. Um, security procedures and, and policies that you have to put in place to make sure that things are actually secure. Yeah, and it's um, it's an ongoing, you know, an, an ongoing cat and mouse type of uh, typical security um, um, scenario. Um, For sure. As as an aside, um, on a total different tangent, um, Oscar Pistorius cases going on in South Africa at the moment that seems to have grabbed the world's wide attention. Is it, um, are people really um, locked in and consumed with what's going on in that case or is it sort of semi on the periphery? Um, it's, it's, it's in the forefront of the media as you can expect. So, you know, I don't know how to gauge it any other way. <laughs> it's on TV all the time, there's updates at night. So, you know, it's definitely high profile here in terms of media. Um, 
but electronic media doesn't have such a massive uh, penetration in South Africa as what it may have in a first world country. So, you know, if 60% of your, your population doesn't have electricity or running water and stuff like that, you know, traditional electronic media is not going to have much of an impact on people like that. Um, but people in the streets talking about it a lot and... Um, yeah, it's, it's like I said, I mean, you... On the streets, yes, um, you do, you, you know, and even between friends and whatnot, it's definitely a hot topic of discussion, but it's like most uh, most of these kinds of things, you know, it'll run its course and things will die down after a while, but I think everybody's very curious to see how it pans out. Yeah, it's very, I've listened. So, so, so do, you, do you have an opinion which way you're leaning in terms of Jeez. guilty or not guilty? You know what, I've been listening to some of the testimony, which I find fascinating. I'm, I'm interested in human behavior and, you know, it's just, it's, it's an, it's, yeah. a, it's a real... It's a real interesting little laboratory. I mean, obviously, real lives were affected and 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 very tragically. And listening to him, geez, you know, I honestly, honestly, have no idea. I mean, I was listening to him, and I, 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 I honestly, you know, he could be could be totally um, legit in that. That you know, I mean, I I grew up in South Africa. You live in South Africa. I know that it's. Um, you know your mind does um, um, expect that a lot of things can go wrong sometimes and that can cause funny sort of responses or, or unusual responses that perhaps someone in who lives in Australia just just wouldn't be on their mind but yeah. there's a few other components and, and his past behavior that's that leads one to think there may be something else going on there. So um, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not the judge or one of the assessors. Um, Absolutely. What What do Absolutely. you think? No. Well, if you if you if you look at the original um, findings and proof and whatnot, so from a purely you know clue based perspective, he does seem to be guilty. But the guys who you know put the case together from the police side made such a botch of things, unfortunately. Um, you know it's really hard, but if you do if you do look at the human uh, element in terms of the the court case on on TV and whatnot, you know he, he definitely seems like somebody that's remorseful and all those kinds of things. But you know, as good as we are um, at at being remorseful, those things can also be you know faked very easily. Um, and we we don't like to believe that we can be duped, but it's actually quite easy to dupe people in terms of that kind of thing. It is, and um you know unfortunately the more psychopathic people are the better at they are duping people absolutely and if you're if you're an actor um you know if your life's on the line you don't need much more um motivation than that to actually get the tears going right Jeez, well look i mean it's 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 messy all around and it's um you know and someone innocently lost their life and and that's you know that's a very final outcome which is is and and of course the law needs things to be proven beyond reasonable doubt which is a good you know it's hard sometimes that it's actually a very um good way to treat criminal cases i mean there was a case recently in the u.s where um, you know, someone was on death row, I think, for 30 or 40 years, and there's some new e evidence that came out, and he was released after being for 30, 40 years on death row, you know, so um, it, it happens more than we'd like to believe. Absolutely. Uh, you know, unfortunately, well, well, not unfortunately, but time will tell whether he's found guilty or not, but I think at the moment, it's probably a bit early to say, you know, all the evidence hasn't been um, shown and whatnot, so I guess... We're in for a bit of a roller coaster ride over the next few weeks as the the case you know runs its course. But 
yeah, like I said, I think at the moment I'm undecided. I'm not honestly leaning one way or the other because uh, I just don't think there's enough to, to either incriminate him or to say that he was actually innocent. I think, and I think it's going to be the type of case where there's really only one person that truly knows, and that's him. And I, yep. I think that's only, you know, I, I think all the analysis and discussion um, and, you know, forensics, and it's really not going to reveal anything. I mean, he's really going to be the only one that knows, and, and the judge is going to just have to make that, that judgment call. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the way it sounds. It sounds like most of the actual physical proof is much more circumstantial in this case. So I think you're completely right. I think it's just going to come down to the judge having to make the right decision in this case. It's, um, you know, man, guns. It all comes down to guns. I hate those things. Yeah. I hate that. It's not, a, it's not a simple solution, unfortunately, guns. Um, I mean, so I'm South African and I mean, I've grown up with guns being in the house all the time, to be perfectly honest. Um, and it's always been due to crime and whatnot. So, you know, where do you, where do you start fixing this problem? I mean, are we veering off a bit here and, uh, you know, we can launch into discussing social inequalities and, you know, economic situations and stuff like that. So this can, can, be, can become a, quite an in-depth, different conversation. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's, uh, it's, it's hard for people who, who didn't grow up with guns to understand guns, um, whereas the reverse is also true. People that have had it as part of your culture, it's really strange to understand people that it seem to, so, to, be, to be so negative about it. So, you know, I, th I think it's it's uh, just one of those, it's, it's difficult to, to get your head around it if you haven't spent some time on the, other, on the other camp side. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in South Africa too, never around guns though, so I'm very unfamiliar with. And, um, you, you know, obviously only, see, you know, for me, they only used for one thing. And that's to, you know, kill so, people and animals. So, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. But it's a whole big debate and I often get into, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with especially the, 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 the pro-gun lobby in America, which is very strong. And I know all the arguments and, yeah, you know, oh, but... Um, I'm, I'm, absolute, I'm absolutely against guns, um, personally, even though I have grown up with them and, you know, it's part of, it's pretty much been part of my culture. I'm completely against it. Um, if we had stricter gun control and we could actually get rid of all of the guns, it would be ideal. But to implement that is extremely difficult. Um, plus, black market guns and SA are, you know, it's a thriving place. It's very easy for you to pick up a gun for almost no price and, you know, ammunition, what can go off and go do whatever you want to do with that gun. So, until actual legislation gets put in place and, number one and number two, some kind of enforcement of that, you know, there's, there's no way to, to make that situation better, unfortunately. Maybe technology can solve the answer somehow, Charles. I mean, I don't know. We um, technologists, and you know, where where you know, I don't know. I need to think about this more. But a that there's um, you know gun identity tied in, so that if your gun gets stolen, it can't be used. That's the one aspect. And maybe there's some other other conditions that the the gun doesn't fire at or something but i guess but you know they're always going to be jailbroken and they're always going to be hacked and you know and especially if they're criminal hands it's it's all meaningless i guess yeah and so the criminal side of things never resorts to the most difficult way to solve things they generally go for the easiest way and, and the fact of the matter is that there are 
a large amount of guns in circulation at the moment that most probably won't have any technology stuff fitted to it. And that's enough to cause enough problems for many, many years to come. So there's no simple solution that I can think of from a technology perspective to, we can improve things going forward for gun new guns, but um, to fix things for old guns, that's, that's going to be a legal and social kind of uh, solution that's required there. How about using technology to improve the human layer? of the sword. <laughs> to make us all bulletproof, you mean? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to 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 work out that that criminal component, that complex criminal component, which is so genetic slash socioeconomic slash you know contextual and just just solving that issue so we don't kill each other. Yeah, that, 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 unfortunately, that's not an easy thing to solve either. So solving the socioeconomic deficit, um, in my personal opinion, can only be done by education. And that, I mean, you're talking about a long-term story there. You're talking about generations to try and fix stuff like that. And we're seeing a lot of that here now with there being, you know, better levels of education open to more people, um, you know, everybody's improving, but it takes a long time. It's not something that happens overnight. Like I said, it's well, a generational change. Well, I'm talking more about a technological shortcut, you know, that somehow uh, we, um, you know, get, uh, get some sort of magnetic res resonance zap while we're sleeping that just sort of aligns our brain for good only. That's, um, yes. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a very interesting dystopia. <laughs> I'm sure the Americans, the, the civil libertarians, would, would love that approach. As they stand on the trains, their brains are getting zapped. But um... <laughs> That would be interesting, yes. Now, maybe another sort of more uh, low-tech way to solve this would just simply be for the government to put out a bounty on guns and uh, you know get people to return them for a fee because people respond well to money, funnily enough. Um, so that might uh, that might actually get rid of a lot of the weapons that are out there. Well, um, of course, Australia famously did that after the Port Arthur ma massacre. Um, they did that and they revamped some of the gun laws, and it was a huge success. There haven't hasn't been any massacres since then at all. So yeah. it 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 has worked. Of course, we've never had such a strong gun culture as. Um, the US but um, hey if someone wants to get rid of their guns send it to us we'll give you a free managed flitter account plus a managed flitter frisbee and we'll melt I mean I don't know what do you do with unwanted guns do you melt them they, down into uh, um, wedding rings or something uh, they do melt them down and I think they reuse the, the metal components of it yes yeah interesting Charles um, it was interesting chatting to you about security internet security and a um and and some of the other tangential bits and pieces. I know you tweet out some interesting tech pieces on Twitter every now and then. So I'm going to put your Twitter account um, up if people want to follow you and engage with you about uh, um, developments and security issues and general issues. Um, I, I know you like uh, having a bit of a banter, so maybe some people follow you on Twitter. And um, thanks for chatting. We'll we'll have you on again in the future. Excellent. Great chatting to everybody. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors.
Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. James, the heartbeat bug, obviously something that you totally across as well. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, what happened, where it's at, and uh, its impact? Yeah, it's it's a very it's a very um, I mean catastrophic is really probably the only way to put it. Um, I mean it's um, it's kind of hard to I mean maybe for people outside of the tech community to kind of understand how important um, this vulnerability is. I mean basically it goes right down to the core. I mean in 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 tech and security everything's kind of built on layers and it's kind of um secured knowledge assumed that some things are going to be um private so that allows you to lock other stuff down. And kind of what Heartbleed has done is it's kind of um it strips away those entire layers. So these things that um that it kind of assumes that, that if you're working in a computer, there are certain bits you can kind of do your calculations on the computer, and as you do those calculations, all that data is going to be private. Um, you know, there's, t- there's tons of layers of security built on top of this in order to ensure that happens. And really, Heartbleed actually allows people to just go and pull any data out of the out of the computer. So it's an incredibly um, um, you know catastrophic bug from a security point of view. Um, I mean, it has lots of flow-on effects as well. I mean, obviously there's there's patches and stuff coming through, and it's progressively getting rolled out, which is which is helping. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, almost almost every service in the world is going to be affected by this. And um, there's some of the flow-on effects. Is I mean, it's kind of made. Um, you know, we rely on this thing um, called SSL in. Um, in sort of browser security, it's the padlock icon you see whenever you go to a banking website. And the real, the real, the real um, negative effect I think this this bug is going to have is it actually, you know, fundamentally compromises the ability for people to actually trust that icon um, because it allows the the keys, um, like the secure information that um, that locks down that information. Um, the locks down that um, those communications can be stolen. It really means that all of this information is vulnerable, and it almost kind of requires an entire wipe of the entire system in order for us to kind of be secure about it again. Um, so yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting bug that maybe um, because because it's so widespread as well, it means lots of these. Um, um, try not to be too technical, but it means lots of these certificates, which are the things which actually secure your communications, have to be revoked. And when you actually revoke a certificate, that has to get passed along to your to your browser, and your browser has to know to revoke it. Um, and browsers really don't like storing this information because obviously it means it's a lot of extra data. It's kind of like um, exception cases, and it just means that the browser is going to have to handle a lot more of these exceptions. Um, and some of them don't bother to do at all. Bother to do this at all. So there's all kinds of flow and effects, and um, the implications might be felt for months or years from now. So it, it's really it's really hard to know what's happening. Um, but, but let's be honest. I mean, most people. I mean. People email each other credit card numbers, you know, and they and they think that's fine. I mean, so I mean, mo- uh, you know, the layperson is not going to have a sleepless night about this. No, no. I mean, 
yeah, I mean, I think I think the the real issue is that like you know we've kind of got to this stage in web security because we've been able to build these layers up, and we may end up kind of unraveling some of that onion a little bit over the next few months, and it's going to mean that people might start trusting the web a lot less. You know, if there are any wide square wide scale issues that arise out of this, um, so yeah, it's 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 a little bit scary. Um, I mean, I'd. I'd I, as I, as you mentioned um, when you talked to Charles, I'd kind of recommend maybe staying away from banking for at least a few more days. There's, there's still people finding implications of this bug that haven't really been resolved yet. So um, it really does run quite deep. So um, just be kind of careful what you post, and particularly if you, um, if you are security conscious, you know, just try and stay away from any major service over the next next week or so. And importantly, um, it's a good if you are worried. Just go through all your major services and change your passwords. Yeah, that's another good thing too. Yeah, they could definitely have been uh, compromised. So uh, that's that's it's never a bad thing to do in any case, and this is probably quite a good time to do it. I probably actually even recommend make, break, waiting a little bit of time just because services are still getting patched. But um, yeah, maybe maybe like next Monday or something would be a good time to do it. Someone tweeted that there should be a national password change day. <laughs> that's we good all idea. go right. You know, this is today. Everyone, we go and we change all our passwords. Of course, uh, it, it's become a major mission that because I mean, well, the average person must have easily have maybe five to ten core things they use every day, and easily a lot more. And it's, I mean, it, it really could. And if you're not organized, you don't know, you know, which services you have. And um, I mean, I think like things like One Pass and LastPass make it a, a lot easier. Um, which help you keep track of all your passwords and you should change your passwords into that as well I would imagine even though it is desktop based I'm not sure what the implications of that are but it would be a major exercise to change all your passwords right? Yeah definitely um, it's funny you mentioned LastPass they were definitely affected um, and then they were patched um, but um, yeah it is possible that um, that you were affected there. You should definitely go through and change uh, as many passwords. You at least your most secure passwords, most important ones like banking passwords and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I wonder if one day we could get on the podcast someone on the other end, you know, find out who these people, who these spammers and hackers and, um, you know, it just seems like such a parallel universe. No one no one knows who these people that, that do all this malicious activity are. Um so many many years ago when i was doing a similar type of show um in the early days of the internet sort of 96 97 i managed to get hold of someone who was a, a, um, a, a hacker but had gone to the white hack side um because he used to he was a student and he used to hack into systems and sort of wave his hand to the corporates and say um hey, I'm here, I've just found a hole, I'm not going to do anything, but pay me and I'll fix it up. And eventually he got, he got offered a job and, and we had a bit of a chat to him. So maybe we can find someone who can, can tell us about that, that horrible, icky, dark side. Yeah, it'd be definitely cool. If you're listening to this podcast as well and you're going to be in New York City, we are coming to New York City. We'll be having some managed Flutter events. So that's just an aside before I forget. And the reason why I mention it is, James, don't you think it would be cool if in New York we can do a um, in-studio live It's a Monkey podcast? We can get a studio guest. We can have a couple of people sitting there and we can actually do the podcast in front of a live studio audience. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, very cool. So... I mean, we, I don't know if we can pull it off, but what will help us, if you are listening, 
and you are in New York or you can make it to New York and you'd like to come to a live recording of the podcast, email us at podcast.itsamonkey.com or tweet us um, at either Manage Flitter or my personal tweet Twitter account or the Monkey Podcast. You'll know how to get, get hold of us. We'd love to, um, you know, do a live broadcast and we can take questions and that'll be, you know, really cool. Um, you know, part of uh, what we do is to build a successful business, but another part is to have a lot of fun with uh, the, the users of Manage Flitter and the listeners of this podcast and that'll be really great as well. And we uh, can bring Manage Flitter Frisbees for everyone. Anyway, I think that's it for today. It is uh, Friday um, the 11th of April, it might be Thursday, the 10th of April where you are, um, or depending on when you listen to it, but this was recorded by us Friday, the 11th of April. Thanks very much for listening to us. This has been Kevin Garber and James Peter on the It's a Monkey podcast, episode 37. Have a good one. <laughs>